Not sure how many of you were here last week, but I came up with this great opening illustration about how the season of Advent is kind of similar to going to a physical therapy appointment or uh, having an aerobics coach. Uh, all of them, their goal is to try to make us fit, to, to make the muscles work the way they were supposed to. And then, of course, I had the privilege of talking to my buddy, Pastor Bremen. He goes, why didn't you just quote Paul? So I thought, why not? Paul writes, 1 Corinthians 9. In a race, all runners run, but only one gets the prize. Run in such a way as to get the prize. Everyone who competes in the games goes into strict training. And they do it to get a crown that will not last. But we do it to get a crown that will last forever. Therefore, I do not run like a man running aimlessly. I do not fight like a man beating the air. No, I beat my body and I make it, a slave, make it my slave so that after I have preached to others, I myself will not be disqualified. Boy, does that Bible passage hit home, especially for pastors who work with God's word on such a frequent basis that, that sometimes we find ourselves talking to others instead of allowing the scripture to talk to us first. Heaven forbid, after many years of preaching and teaching, that somehow or another I have found myself not even focusing in or allowing the word to speak to me as the pastor. And I think that's a common struggle uh, in varying degrees for us as people. There's always this a tendency throughout the church year to hear the word being preached. You get into that regular habit of worshiping together. And now I've heard this passage before, sometimes even to the point where we, we jump ahead in the reading just because we know what, or we think we know what it says. And I especially see that at Advent because we have such a, a, a small variety of narratives that we work with. Um, is it possible that, that we hear the story so much we don't take the time to stop and think, yeah, but what does this mean to me? I want to make sure that when it, when it comes to ob observing the church year or observing the Advent Christmas uh, season, I, I make sure that I'm, I'm putting the time in to thoughtfully apply it to my own life. And that's what Advent is about. That's why we had to have Advent and, frankly, Lenten services as well, to, to give you an extra opportunity to say, okay, um, let's once again remind ourselves why we're here and what's the reason uh, for this particular season. So last week we talked about waiting. That's a, a major theme in Advent because Advent celebrates the coming of Christ. As the Old Testament figures waited for that first coming of Christ that we celebrate on Christmas Day as his birth, we also, as Christians, we celebrate also waiting in anticipation because one of the major themes that we never want to forget is that we're also waiting, planning, in anticipation for Jesus to come again. It isn't just about celebrating something that happened 2,000 years ago. I mean, how do you anticipate what has already happened? How do you really put in extra effort to really make this the special celebration when we already know what it is? There's a whole element of the Advent season that is, is lost on people and individuals who don't want to dig it in a little bit deeper. Tonight we're going to talk about waiting in silence. 
Now, when you, when you talk about silence, the Bible has many passages that reference purposeful silence. One of my favorites is out of Psalm 46. Be still and know that I'm God. I will be exalted among the nations. I will be exalted in the earth. Uh, this is the Dave Ramage translation there, but really be still means to shut up. Be quiet. Turn off the voice in your brain. Quit allowing yourself to be the focus of translating life. In Psalm 46, there's some issues that we're dealing with, some struggles that people face. We need to be still as we face those things and realize who's in control. Be quiet. Know that I am God, and I will be exalted among the nations and in the earth. Habakkuk is one of my other favorite ones because it was a, a plaque on the wall of the church I grew up in. As you're walking into the sanctuary, uh, the Lord is in his holy temple. Let all the earth be silent before him. That we come together at these times to be quiet, to listen and allow God the opportunity to speak. And that's we listen. The silence of Advent is then trying to turn off all these extra noises or sounds that are out there so that we don't miss the purpose of what this time of the year is all about. Please understand that the scriptures never speak of silence for the sake of silence. There's always a purpose to silence. It's a holy purpose. Before we speak, before we act, we must first be quiet and listen to the Lord. I think tonight we have a wonderful nativity narrative that addresses this whole idea of silence, and that's in the person of Zechariah. Zechariah uh, is a priest, and he has the wonderful opportunity to serve the Lord uh, in a very special way. It's a tremendous privilege and honor for Zechariah to do what the text is telling us he's doing. It's not that the, the work itself is hard to do. Uh, they were well trained on what was needed and what needed to be done. All they really needed to do was sprinkle some incense in the right way and tend to some oil lamps trimming the wicks and making sure there was plenty of oil. Anybody honestly could have done it. But only Zechariah was chosen by lot to do it. And this service was anything but routine. It was very special because of where it took place. It took place in the, in the temple itself. The the actual altar of incense is right up against the curtain behind which is the Ark of the Covenant, behind which the Lord himself would dwell. Only the high priest could go into the Holy of Holies, and that was once a year. So the next best thing, if you will, for a priest would be to serve just outside, and not everybody got to do it. There were 24 different divisions of priests. Each division had a, a fair amount of priests in it. And so you only got picked by lot, by chance. And some priests 
probably never, ever got to serve. But Zechariah did. You can imagine the focus he must have had. Standing feet, inches away from the very physical presence of God in the temple. Behind the curtain. What an awesome experience that must have been. I wonder if he if he was like me, if he was kind of taking mental notes so he could go home and tell Elizabeth, and then guess what happened now? I was there. That's what I would do anyway. But then something happened. All was going as planned, and then something changed. Through the smoke of the incense, Zechariah saw an angel standing by the altar. Now, I haven't seen very many angels in my life, but I think I would have had the same response that Zechariah had, which was one of of panic and fear. What are you doing here? Uh, Nobody prepared me for this. And and here this angel stood. He was terrified, a natural reaction. But I really wonder what, what scared him the most. Was it the actual presence of the angel standing by the altar? Or was it what the angel said? Gabriel said, do not be afraid, Zechariah. Your prayer has been heard. Your wife, Elizabeth, will bear a son. Now, that's got to be too much for a priest or anybody for that matter. What's the logical response? The logical response is, whoa, uh, how can I be sure of this? I'm an old man, and my wife is well along in years. That sounds like something I would say. Now, what frustrates people, at least I've found, is that how can Mary can get away with talking to Angel Gabriel like this, but Zechariah can't? Because Mary had the same thing, right? How can this be? I'm a virgin. Why was Mary's question considered appropriate but Zacharias wasn't it was because we're actually comparing Zacharias question to the wrong person last week you'll remember we were talking about Abraham in Genesis chapter 15 he had a very similar problem that Zechariah had they had been praying for they had been told that they were they were going to be with child and yet they were getting older and no child was showing up Genesis 15, 8, Abram said, O sovereign Lord, how can I know that I will gain possession of it, the child? That's basically what Zechariah was asking. How do I know? The problem here is that Scripture tells us a couple verses earlier that Abraham believed the Lord and credited it to him as righteousness. This was a question of, of, of righteous faith. God, Abraham holding the Lord to his promise. When we get to Zechariah, how can I be sure of this? I'm an old man. My wife is well along. There was actually another question here. Basically, he's asking for another sign. I want another sign. Now you say to yourself, another sign? What was the first sign? The angel said to him, don't be afraid. 
Zechariah, your prayer has been heard. Your wife Elizabeth will bear a son. I told you what was going to happen, in other words. But you see, for Zechariah, he was looking for something else. That word of the angel, that word that came from the Lord, that the prayer would be answered, he needed something more. He wanted another sign. And so, um, Gabriel gave Zechariah what he wanted, another sign. And the sign was, you can't talk. Zechariah lost the ability to communicate with his mouth. He couldn't speak when he came out of that special service. People were wondering, you were in there a long time, something must have happened there, buddy, but he couldn't talk. He couldn't express himself. He goes home to the missus. He wants to tell the missus what happened, and Elizabeth, what's going on? And he can't put the words out there. He couldn't tell her what happened. For nine straight months, Zechariah's sign afflicted him. He was unable to talk. He was unable to speak the truth of what he saw. And he had lost sight of that truth because the promised miracle was the sign that the angel had brought from the Lord. He had already been given the sign. He already got what he was praying for, what he wanted, but he couldn't believe it. At least not yet. You know, I was wondering what he would be thinking about when, when John was born. I've had three kids. Excuse me. My wife has had three kids. I helped. Um, but I'm telling you what I watch. I, maybe it's just me. I couldn't wait to tell people. I'd call them on the phone. I got, I, at the time, I have nine living siblings and my parents. I had plenty of people to call, not to mention her family. Um, but I would just repeat the same information. It's a boy. It's a girl. X number of pounds. I don't remember anymore. This long, everything's fine, everything's great. Oh, I just, uh, what are you naming them? Well, we knew what we were going to name the first two. Uh, we struggled a little bit with Paul, but that's another sermon, um, shorter than this one. Um, but I wanted to say something. Here John is born, in, and what does Zachariah get to do? He gets to hold the baby, which was cool, but he couldn't speak. In fact, for eight days he couldn't speak. It wasn't until the eighth day, the time of circumcision, the time of actually naming the child, that... Zechariah had the opportunity to talk. And it wasn't until he had to deal with loving relatives who presumed that they knew what he wanted to say in the first place, that they were going to name the child after the father. Even Elizabeth thought that, but they didn't want to listen to Elizabeth either. So they gave old Zechariah a tablet. And there he is. He writes down on this tablet, his name is John. At that moment, he was able to talk again. His voice returned. At that moment, he was able to put together what he was unable to do in front of the incense altar that day. 
to be able to absorb and process the promise that God had given to him and his lovely wife Elizabeth. Not that just that they were going to have a kid, but this child was going to be the forerunner of none other than the promised Messiah himself. He learned a truth that we need to learn today. God calls us to listen to him, to trust his promises before we speak and before we do anything. Okay, what does that have to do with you guys? We live in a world today that is filled with sound. Um, And unless you're deliberately trying to find solace, a time of quiet, seeking silence out, it's unlikely that most of your days won't be confronted with any array of things that we hear. Now, maybe it's just me, but it seems that these sounds seem to intensify during Advent. Now, to be clear, I'm not referring to the normal noise pollution of everyday life. It is loud. It is noisy. There's a lot of things to make noise around our house. While all noise is sound, not all sound is unwanted noise. Think about it. Cell phone, great invention, don't you think? I'm guessing most of you have one. So imagine you're standing uh, in Walmart, and your phone rings, and it's from a loved one. You don't know what it's about, so you pick up. Hey, how are you doing? And you start hearing the story. Oh, you're kidding me. When did that happen? Oh, no. What are we going to do here? Um, um, and we start problem-solving whatever the difficulty is. And the call goes on. We're not, we don't care how long it is. We just have to have this conversation. Phone ends. We're satisfied. Great invention. That was a great conversation. Something got done. Now imagine, same phone but somebody else is holding it. And you're still in Walmart in one of those lines that's moving really slow. And some gal or guy gets a phone call and it's basically the same call you had, only they're having it from their perspective. And what do you think? Are you serious? Get out of line. We don't need to hear about all your personal information. This is unwanted noise. Same kind of noise. But we decide what we want to listen to. And Advent has a lot of sounds that we listen to. To what degree those sounds affect your life, I don't know. I just pick up on the idea that there are a lot of people talking and saying a lot of different things about what Christmas is. What? Well, they don't even use the word Advent. It's Christmas time. What does that mean? We give you opportunities to pick Christian carols, but there's a lot of Christmas songs out there, some of which I wonder why it's even Christmas, but they're out there. We listen to them, and we're okay with listening to them. We may even tap and sing along. We have maybe some favorite movies that we'd like to watch. After all, it's this time of the year. We have to watch It's a Wonderful Life or uh, The Christmas Story or any new Disney Pixar thing that's out there. This becomes a part of what we listen to, what we think about, and it has an effect. The voices, if nothing else, begin to drown out what God is seeking to talk to us about during this time of the year. 
And it's fair to say that we hold some of these things pretty near and dear. I often wonder if you guys think I'm like a Grinch, Pastor Grinch, you know. Uh, I don't like Christmas. I, I like to blast it. Let me tell you something. I'm going to be celebrating Christmas in many and various different ways this year because my family is not going to be together. So we'll have Christmas here. We'll have it out in Colorado. We'll have it by ourselves. I'm going to have it with you, of course, as well. Oh, I love Christmas time. I love the the um, the message, the the warmth, the the giving of presents, all the emotional things that many people connect with. My concern, though, is is that what we're looking for? Do we have a promise from God, and yet we're looking for something else? Could it be this is why um, Christmas comes and goes and we feel like we miss stuff? Uh, we feel like it goes by so fast and we find ourselves dealing with depression afterwards. Why? Well, this didn't go right. I thought this would happen. What voice? What are we trying to listen to? What are we trying to make happen? These are the kinds of sounds that I think are, are uh, intensified during this time of the year because of what this time of the year has been created to mean by the culture in which we live in. What are we listening to? Are we discerning the sounds that influence. Again, I'm not trying to imply that all sounds are bad. But certain sounds do rob us of the silence that scriptures encourage us to experience. So, have we become like Zechariah? We're able to speak and to attend all manner of things, except maybe those that are the most important. Is our minds filled with sounds that at the end of life it really doesn't matter? Keep in mind that Elizabeth and Zechariah are righteous people. They obey the commands of God, just like Mary and Joseph were. So we're not talking about some spiritual slacker here. We're talking about people that are in tune with what God is doing. They're actively serving. And yet, it's possible for us to begin to recreate it in our own image rather than in the image that God gave to us. God calls us to silence so that we can listen to his voice. We can listen to his words we can allow his promise to again be what we're looking for, what we're hoping for, what we're waiting for. Now, the world out there, they're, they're going to try to excuse themselves out of this kind of a discussion. In fact, they may even laugh it off because there goes those Christians again trying to beat up everything. Come on, why don't you just relax a little bit? Laugh off the guilt. Come on, eat, drink, and be merry. This should be a fun time of the year. A joyous time of the year, and it is. But for what reason? Paul reminds us that the law of God silences every mouth. 
Now we know that whatever the law says, it says to those who are under the law, so that every mouth may be silenced and the whole world held accountable to God. Advent. Is it possible for us to have maybe started to consider things that really aren't God-pleasing? Is it possible that we set ourselves up for emotional hurt or pain because we're looking for something that the season really isn't all about? It may look like it, it may sound like it, but it isn't. Is it possible that the words of the law point out to us, like it did Zechariah, that we were focused on the things that really didn't matter? God calls us to silence and repentance so that we may know who we are and that we have really nothing to say. All of our excuses are... Uh, and objections, well, they're wiped off our lips when we're confronted by God's law. But God doesn't leave us silent. The silence is there for a purpose. God calls us to silence so that we can hear a surprising word of grace. Uh, Zephaniah, not Zechariah, but Zephaniah says, The Lord will quiet you by his love. When we confess our sins in church and have, have a time afterwards for silent reflection, what are we doing? We're, we're taking this time to allow the law to expose the fact that there are weaknesses in our, our thought process, that, that we are vulnerable. We are under attack by Satan. He wants nothing better than to drive a wedge between us and our Savior. And what better time to do that when everybody's celebrating a little baby's birthday? As if that's the whole point of advent it happened we remember it but there's more there there's good news there after confession what do we say do you remember almighty god in his mercy has given his son to die for you and for his sake forgives you all your sins as a called and ordained servant to Christ, and by his authority, I therefore forgive you all your sins. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. What? Maybe you've heard it too much. Your sins are forgiven. The slate has been wiped clean. This little baby that was born didn't stay a little baby. He grew up. He became a man. And he fulfilled all the requirements of the law, all the demands that God the Father laid on his creation that we are unable to fulfill, Jesus did it for us. He lived our life. He died our death. He rose again, and he ascended into heaven because he's coming again. He's coming on the last day, and if we live that long, that's when he's going to reestablish eternity, calling his sheep to himself and restoring all the promises giving to us in Christ ourselves. I don't know. I think that's pretty amazing. But you have to think about it. You have to take the time to go, you mean me? Yeah. You. It's not something else? No. It's the forgiveness of sins. We don't deserve that. 
How could we have expected such a gift? And yet, when God gives, God gives gifts that are truly undeserved. So during Advent, as we quietly listen to God's voice, God calls us to trust his faithful promises given, revealed, and fulfilled in Jesus our Savior, who's coming again. In his name I pray. Amen.